Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Won't Back Down with Will Levinson, Jake Lehman, and Sam Potosa. Welcome back to the Won't Back Down podcast and Scared Money. There's scared money here. We are scared to make, to pay. And Cromani McLean is a cane. Yeah, that's a disaster. Just when you thought this unbalanced rivalry week couldn't get any worse we thought hey at least maybe we'd go in with the confidence that we just got the number two recruit in the country things are looking up for us even if we get trounced on saturday no we don't have that anymore we, nope. we just got actually Corey raymond and billy just got stuffed into a locker by mario by mario you know yeah by john ruiz also. By john ruiz but at the end of the day you know sure maybe you know ruiz's influence but you know them having emptier pockets like, that, that excuse, I don't really care. It's like, at the end of the day, regardless of how you're landing players, you either are or you aren't. And not even we've the, done a, a better job than previous years, but my, Ruiz having such a vendetta against us and kind of like taking all these – like, that is a problem. It is a problem. It's not even that our pockets are empty. No, it, it, We have a lot of money. I just think that our mm-hmm. administration was a little slower to accept this new legislation than other administrations, yeah. whereas Miami has this ruthless guy like John Ruiz who would be a formidable opponent for – Anybody. I mean, you put him against USC, he'd be out recruiting yeah. USC right now. Like, it, it, the fact, like you said, I think that's a great way of looking at it. I actually didn't even thought of it that way. This guy has a vendetta against the Florida Gators. Really it's does. a problem. It is becoming a problem. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know where we go from here. It's. Oh, you know, can we bring message board readings back really quick? This is, a good one. This is from The Call on Swamp 24-7. Sure, yeah, read it out. By the way, for those of you attacking Ruiz on Twitter, how about expletive off the bro. Maybe a douchebag, but he's rich as bleepy bleep and not afraid to swing his big dick around. When y'all poke him into swinging dick, our little dick UAA, sorry Big Will, ain't gonna do nothing to stop him, so that only fuels the fire. The cause got a point. Like I said, I don't know where we go from here. Cormani was supposed to be the crown jewel of this class. You know, I had heard for a year and a half because... Like, I'm into recruiting, but I'm not as into recruiting as some of these other kids who have on three subscriptions. I've been, I heard all offseason, we're getting Cormani, at least two of Cormani, Tony, and AJ. Well, now, nine months later, we have none of them. The on three subscriptions too powerful because it, people see the percentages. And that's yeah, yeah I mean, uh, you give a kid like Jake Beal an on three subscription, and he thinks he's Corey Bender. Like, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear to me. 
uh, we, we've never seen anything like this, where just a recruit was so seemingly clearly going to a school, all the buzz was towards Florida, every you know expert was expecting Florida, everything I heard said Florida, and Miami had no traction at all. They were considered like clearly the third team in this race. Bama was really the only you know, I would say threat, and then there was that, you know, random bizarre threat of Jackson State, which there always seems to be for no reason, thanks to Travis Hunter. But I just, it didn't seem real when it was sent out. Like, this has to be a mistake. It felt like it was a mistake. It felt like somebody got hacked. A little bit of a funny story. I actually got locked out of my phone for like an hour yesterday. (laughs) An hour? Just an hour. How did you get locked out for an hour? Dude, I don't know. I was cooking dinner. I tried to turn on my phone because I was actually trying to do a fantasy trade. Yeah. And I completely forgot Cormani was going on. And then I go on my phone. You did and the trade though. I, I got the trade done. My nice. great trades. I won't bore you guys with my fantasy team because no one cares about my fantasy team. But I turn on my phone and I I thought it was a joke. I was like, there, there's no way this is happening. Like, <laughs> you, I, I, say, you sent me that you made the trade like right after it happened too, and I was like, not the time, Sam. Oh, you know, because I didn't know about Cormania. That was the first <laughs> thing I did when I got my phone. I did the trade. <laughs> you're like, you're like, we got the trade done. I'm like, Sam. I, I, I'm sorry. Well, for, for background, <laughs> I, me and Big Will were talking about the trade. We were. We were. Uh, like an hour before. But right, but talking about, about tomorrow. Yeah, of course. Talking about tomorrow. Poor awareness on my part. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it sucks. The silver lining, if you want to make one, is that we do have a deep CB class. It's like, yeah, the one position. I it's One position we could have afforded a loss, but it's more just we haven't been getting these blue chips. That our biggest blue chip recruiter the past five years, I would say, is probably Gervon Dexter. Yeah, yeah, of the whole mall. Yeah, but he didn't really even was. he didn't start yeah. as a blue chip though. He was a guy who was a late riser. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I mean, and even so, like, it, it, and he, but he was a commit to Florida for a while. And even as he rose, you know, you had that worry: is he going to is he going to go to Bama? Is he going to go somewhere? Is he going to go somewhere else with more money or something? But no, he decided to stick with that commitment. And that was so huge for Dan Mullen. I think it was a set, sort of the centerpiece of Dan Mullen's entire recruiting tenure was just to be able to land that blue chip guy. And it just, it's so amazing to me because this was, you were the leader in the clubhouse for two freaking years. We were in this podcast since the day of its conception talking about coal mining. Literally, literally. I think we probably talked about it in one of the first couple episodes. Yes, absolutely. We were, yeah. we were discussing this saying, you know, this was the guy that was coming. This was, I've, I've never seen a recruit this good seemingly be so likely to come here and for all the momentum, like, you know, there were times where they might go to Bama, there's some crystal balls here or there, but for all of that, just to have the last month or so just be so clearly in favor of Florida, mm-hmm. so likely to Florida, to have it just so shockingly switch in the last moment is just, it's yeah. it's, it's it's genuinely, it, it's saddening, and it's, it's, it's absurd, but it's funny, as Lehman was talking about, the pick that came, the picture that came out after, with uh, Kermani McLean, a braced up Kermani McLean wearing those thick braces, pointing with a Miami fan, wearing a Miami hat, uh, pointing at the, the Gator Hater shirt. And it's like, yeah. is, this, is, is this a fever dream? Like, what are we looking at here? Yeah. But, the braces soften the blow a little bit just yes. because it, it reminds you, you know, these are kids at the end of the day. 17 year old kids. So but this is one of those players. 17 year old kid is ruining my day, and that's a bad that's thing. That's why college football is where I'm like, he's not so. going, we can't even say, like, oh, he might bust. There's no way this guy's no, going to be a No, that's why. There, there's there's, talk yeah. about there's no way this guy's going to be a boss. That's the thing. We, um, Cohen, you know, who, by the way, we were talking, Zach Cohen with his anti-recruiting um, 
you know, talking point he always brings up, which makes no sense because no he's sense. a draft person. Yeah, no it's sense, okay. It's better to talk about 21-year-old kids' hand sizes than 17-year-old kids' decisions. Right, and it's like, we're like yeah. okay, you're out here talking about how Leonard Fournette's going to be a great running back, running back one this week. Remember when Leonard Fournette was an elite recruit? Like, it's the same idea. Yeah, like, was Leonard Fournette had 12 but points. Anyway, again, aside from... Hey, well, he's aside everyone moving forward. The Zach Cohn, I, I just... He, I was like... Because, you know, he was, well, is Cormani even going to be good? And I had him. I'm like, go through year by year on 24-7. Look at the number one cornerback recruit every year the last 10 years. Um, Okuda, Stingley, Sertan, Ramsey, Hargraves. Like, every single year, the number one corner ends up a first-round pick. And so, sure, you know, Jaquim and Dijon are very promising. But it's like, you get someone who will lock down one side of the field for three years and... And that sucks right. not and, to land that kid. Right. And a corner, I feel like corner is a really easy position to evaluate. You're just maybe the easiest. Sucks because, right. Maybe the easiest. Right. With it's all the seven on seven stuff they do too, like exactly. that translates. And it's also they just field. have some innate skills that you can't really teach. No, if it's, you're a it's right. It's it's the fluid fluidity, and it's and it's like sort of like that. Just that the like knowledge of route combinations, and also the ability to break off of your coverage to make a play. And you see that time and time again on Cromani's tape. It's just so disappointing. No, like you're saying, like that's a great point, Sam, about how you know I, I'm, you know, there are better developers than others at the position. And Corey Raymond is a great coach, a great developer. He gets the credit for all these NFL picks, but they were great as recruits too. Oh yeah, he, he, he is. But he is Cormani or Corey Raymond is an elite DB recruiter, which is why it makes it, it, you you have to ask the question. Okay, if he got all these elite recruits, Pat Pete, Tyron Matthew, Derek Stingley, uh, threw on the line, all these Tredavious great, White. Tredavious yeah. White, all these elite cornerbacks to go through LSU. He had all these guys committed to LSU he, and, and did so well year in and year out at the, the, the true DBU. He comes here and he's seemingly struggling. Eh, he's I don't not know about struggling. struggling. He's not struggling. Well, not struggling, but he's not doing what he did he, he's not getting yeah. those elite well the five like stars well let's we have two who might end up in the top 100 overall by the time i feel like as to i'm the resident pessimist on yeah. this podcast i don't think we did anything wrong in this that's the thing I, I, I think we like, this is the new age of college football which i am an outspoken supporter of it but this is one of those things where you're like fuck this what sucks like do? i'm a fan of a yeah. team too and this is affecting me like this fucking sucks there's a guy who yeah it's not even that he has more money than Florida. He is willing to pay more money than Florida is. Florida can easily match it, but like we said, this is a 17-year-old kid. For all we know, it could be a James Robinson situation. He gets here first day, he realizes he has a heart condition and can't play. Like, you have to keep in mind, like, these are still investments that you, the university is making and a trust of people are making. Like, it, it, there's nothing we could do. We just have an adversary right now who has a seeming vendetta against us and is willing to outbid us in any scenario. And that's the problem, in my opinion. I don't think it's anything that Napier and co. are doing. I actually think this recruitment was great, the way they handled this. I think the I amount of times they got him on campus, the amount of people they put him in touch with, Corey Raymond himself, what he did to personally right. recruit him, I don't think it's what Florida did anything wrong. I, I'd be interested to hear one day really what happened because compared to a lot of the other like blue true blue chips recently, with social media and everything, Cormani McLean's recruitment was very quiet. And so I wonder, I just, you know, because the narrative all along was that, you know, he was a lifelong Gator fan. Florida's clearly in the lead here. I wonder, like, what indications there were or that it was kind of assumed or, you know, because my first 
reaction was, oh my God, Ruiz dropped a last minute bag and that's that. But I think that is exactly what I, happened. You wonder though, I don't know, you know, we don't know. So yeah, I, I genuinely believe that it was a last minute bag drop by John Ruiz. And it was Corey Raymond, who I I believe he doesn't think, it, he he doesn't, he, doesn't, he knows it wasn't him. He knows that he did his oh, job. Yeah. And he knows there is only so much he you knows can do at the end that of the day. it was things above him that he can't control, that many people in the program can't control, that are the reason why this happened. Look, if you're if the rumored money is true, you can't turn that down. If you're Kamarani, if you are smart with that money, that is life changing money. You can set yourself and your family up for years. But in terms of football, that is a terrible decision. That is a terrible, terrible. Position and look, I mean yeah, that is a my, terrible decision. And, and, and I, I, I think it, it, it could be factored in there, making millions of dollars while living in Coral Gables is, in many ways, a better lifestyle choice than making half as much to live in Gainesville. And, and, and I mean that's fair. And, and that's and, fair. And it hurts to think although, about. Although I will say, I mean, if you're equating the price of living in Coral Gables versus the price of living it in Gainesville, becomes, Florida. becomes equal, yeah. Yeah, yeah half a million dollars. It started, <laughs> I don't know. to feel like a million. I don't know how much that, I think, I think it's more just, you know, getting money for his family. And look, at the end of the day, the way that I look at Cormani as compared to even other five stars, let alone other recruits, but I think he truly was the type of kid who thinks, and he probably thinks this because it's probably true, it's probably right, I'm going to be a first-round pick no matter where I go. So right. as great as Corey Raymond is, I don't need him necessarily to get me there. Exactly. I just exactly. don't know if Kevin Steele and I, – I, is Ephraim Miranda still there as their defensive backs coach? I, um, No, it's, it's a day from – he was with Georgia last year, so uh, not a bomb. I just don't know if those are the people to put you in the position you would want to be entering the pros versus a guy like Corey Raymond. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's 100% it, the truth. But, uh, that, oh, they have T-Rob? No, oh, Alabama, Alabama has T-Rob. We were going against T-Rob at Bama. They have Van Dyke. Van Dyke, no, they, they do. They, no, he's no, not no, the no, on-field no. coach, is, though. Oh. He's an analyst. Oh, so oh D- no, he's at Alabama. Van Dyke yeah. was, like, leading the recruitment, but he's not even going to be his on-field position coach. Yeah. That's the crazy part Look, about the Van Dyke it's one thing if he committed to Alabama, you just have to look at that and be like, you know what, that is a better football move. He will be a top-five pick in the NFL draft. Good for him. Right. But Miami, I mean, this is a bad football Dude, Miami move, just is, got blown out yeah. by Duke at home in front of about 20 people. It is unbelievable to me that, like, it, 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 it just it can't be a football decision because it, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Not and to it, be that guy, but it is kind of sad at the end of the day thinking, like, you know, it's his decision. And, like, after in a week from now, we're not going to be thinking about it anymore. But, right. like, it honestly, in my opinion, is a little sad to think about. I feel like part of you has to want to play in front of 90,000 screaming fans who love you. Right. Like, that's got to be a little sad. I, I just don't think they care. They, yeah. they don't care. I know. Like, it's three years of your life shoes, where he will be making, rumored to be making $6 million. Right. It's not they, 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 the day, in three years, we'll be playing in front of 70,000 screaming fans that, want, that are cheering for you, like in the NFL. Like, yeah. It, 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 it is. And you know what? In some parts, maybe they like the idea of getting to play in an NFL stadium. With an NFL locker. Maybe Honestly, like maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. Like, Hard Rock is beautiful. It, it, is. it is. You can see all the seats, too, during the game. Like, oh, look how pretty the teal is. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for those seats. to I don't be know. I mean, look, this recruiting class for Miami is historic. What they move up to? Like, sixth? Yeah. 
They have, I mean, the top so, end is better than ours. In a couple years, right, Mario, I mean, this team is just awful. We're seeing how bad of a job so Manny Diaz bad. did. Kind of similar to Mullen. But it will be interesting to see in a couple years with those players. I mean, you saw how well Mario did at Oregon with Taggart's players that he recruited. I mean, he's recruiting well. Like, you can't deny that. He's shown that he can win football games with good players. Unfortunately, this Miami team is very bad. So mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why they suck. It'll be interesting to see how it is in a couple of years. Because I remember in 2017, when they were undefeated until they had that historic collapse at the end of the season, yeah. Hard Rock was rocking that year. Yeah. It was, Dude, that Notre Dame game. Were you there? Is, no. I, I'm not a Miami fan. But that, but that Notre Dame game was, I think, the pinnacle of what the Miami program can, can create. When they succeed, and it really South Florida has always been this way, and that they are a bandwagon they, sports. Ban, they are driven for success. You don't succeed. They're not Nebraska. Right? This isn't Nebraska. So all Miami, those, Florida. Let's make but one like, thing clear. Let's just make a disclaimer to all those salty Heat fans who are listening to the podcast. Be like, it's a basketball town. It's a basketball town. Get it's only a basketball town because this has been the fr- one exactly. franchise in the city who's had sustained success. Exactly. There's more people at the town. Panthers There's games. No this such year thing as a basketball the Heat right. games. No, I know absolutely. Like, it, 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 if the Dolphins become, if the Dolphins like host a playoff game, it will be insane. Like, if the Dolphins exactly. are an yeah. elite team. They, it, yeah. they, the entire city will completely turn. People into don't a football care town. about the team. They just want to come out in their nice clothes that they'd wear to Dyer Day Club, get shit faced for a playoff. Exactly. Game. That's what they want. It, it, right, and, and, and it's great for that market. But it, South Florida as a whole, I mean, it's an absolute probably the, the biggest hotbed for for you know recruiting and high school sports in the country. It's a football town. It is a football. South Florida is football first. And if Miami can find some success, and if they, all they need is one of those situations where, like, you, you string together a couple wins to start the season, maybe three, four wins, and you play, a good, like, a ranked team at home. And then maybe you're maybe you're in the top 15, and this here comes Notre Dame, ranked eighth, coming into a top, and they're going to have game day. And then that's all it takes. And you have a huge environment, and it, it, you could recreate what you had, uh, in in what, it, yeah. what was that twenty seventeen? It'll be really interesting to see in a couple years. What same as with A and I mean, we'll see if there's an onslaught of recruits who transfer. But like these amazing top heavy recruiting classes, like if you give them time to develop, like there's gonna be results yielding on the field. Like a, even with so a dead dog asleep at the wheel at head coach. I, I, seriously, I, seriously. I mean, I mean look at that Ogeron. A and M. A and M put together four of. They had eight. They had eight. It was yeah eight five stars in that class. I think four of which were on the front seven. Like, I don't care about Jimbo's offense being stale. Your entire front seven is five stars, and you're going to win football games. Like, there's fine. no question. They're, they'll be fine. There's no question. I think this is just shining a light on how poor of a recruiting job he did at the beginning of his tenure. Jimbo? Yeah. Yeah, not getting a quarterback. I mean, that's yeah, really that's, it. That's, like, quarterback recruiting come back to bite. Speaking of quarterback recruiting, like, you're talking about being the resident pessimist maybe. Sometimes I might be the resident optimist. Cormani McLean's recruitment was like optically one you really had to win. Really, the one that football wise and for Billy's tenure as a whole is a true, true can't miss. Where like even I will be like, oh shit, like this might DJ be Lagway. starting to get over before it even really got a chance to get started. Is Lagway because if yeah, I can't even worry this about class, that right will, now. I think we'll finish top eight. There will be a good foundation, but if you don't get because we talked about it last show, you can't win anymore. I mean, unless you have have that much more talent across the board at every position, like Georgia did last year, Stetson Bennett at quarterback, you really can't like win the way we want to if you don't have that elite elite quarterback. And so, I agree with if you. If you don't get him, like things 
could start to really spiral before you even really I get agree. a chance to get any momentum I at agree all. with you, but I don't think we can put that ultimatum on it yet because this guy has 10 teams that he's considering right now. It is so early. At this time last year, the only names I heard were A.J. Harris, Tony Mitchell, and Cormani McLean, and that we were a lock to get at least one of them. No, we, you're we, right. We did not get any of them. You're very <laughs> right. But the thing with Lagway, he's set. And not only did we not get yeah. any of them, they're going to three of our biggest recruiting rivals. And not, well, I think, but yeah. at the end of the day, like it, it's it's just clear that I think Florida, at least for a lot of these top guys, are falling behind the eight ball with the money stuff, and it's become so clear how how much of a difference that plays. Well, so I have my own, own and it's unfortunate because we have like money wise compared to ninety nine percent of programs. We're fine, but it's right. like we're fine. Money is just Tennessee, Miami, A&M, and I, that you have at Texas, those schools. Texas A&M. But, um, we do not have Tennessee the Miami. Like that's it. But which is why, like I know people can take. I know people will have their political opinions, but yeah. Ben Sass might have been the best thing for this football program. I'm being very serious. I agree. Like, I, I, I agree. He, I think he's I, gonna. I think it's a horrible idea to bring in a politician to be the chancellor <laughs> of a school, but. He would have been fantastic from a football perspective. He seems like an Urban Meyer kind of guy. Yeah, no, but ben he is. Sass but he's he's being hired. Like, no, he's not. Wait, what? There was a vote of no confidence from the staff. Does that mean he won't be hired, or does that mean that I don't they're think just they're, condemning? They're gonna, no, they're looking at other candidates. Okay. I mean, That's yeah. what Feinberg told me. Like, yeah. All right. I mean, I won't be here anymore. I really don't care. I mean, neither will I, but I'm going to be honest. I read that, and I like I don't, I didn't know what it meant. I don't know politics. Yeah. Um, I'm not a lawyer. No, I want to read this tweet. So Pete Nakos, uh, college sports business reporter for uh, mm-hmm. On3, NIL on On3 Sports, says, NIL played a role in Cromani McLean's commitment. That's the truth. I have I've confirmed that with multiple sources. But he isn't alone. In a survey this summer, 30% of top recruits told on three they're open to taking an NIL deal mm. over a perfect fit. 70% lied. <laughs> right. Well, that's the truth. But it just shows that, like, you have to bring in the good money. And well, regardless, I guess I didn't even thought of that. The president... Can make a difference. Hopefully, they bring in, bring in a guy that is willing to allocate funds to football. Because, as bad as that may sound to a lot of the people on campus, yeah. it's very important. Well, it's not school funds; it's funds from boosters and right. raising capital, which I guess are school funds, but it has to be allocated to a specific like collective or the group kind of thing, like the Gator Guard. If we're talking, here's my thing with Gator athletics as a whole, and I really noticed this once I got on campus. Mm-hmm. I do believe there is administrative support of the athletic program, but I think there's administrative support of investing in the athletic program, not yielding results. And and we I, I think investing great, in facilities, yeah. investing in the fan experience, I think is this administration's number one goal, not the on-field product. Do you think yes. that there's a divide between? Fans and administration on being an everything school because I think I, I I think yes I, I think I think, I think the school is way more admin, committed to the everything school idea than the fan is. right right like Which, at the end of the day you you, you pull a lot of people like if, if it's me I want to pull all one. of our resources into football and basketball because at one point we had a proud tradition in both but I I I just think well, we're we behind great pride we're behind a lot and of I other think there's schools. differing like, voices in within our school who have very different opinions on this issue. I mean, I'm not going to say what I've heard because I don't want to delve too into it. And I really haven't heard that much, but I just think there's kind of a miscommunication right now on how we need to go about this new landscape. And every day that we don't clarify it, 
we're falling more and more behind. And, and it's, I'm not saying it's going to be a catastrophe because look, we still have a top 10 recruiting class. We're obviously still investing in these players. Like I've heard for a fact we are offering good money to these players. We're just not yeah. offering the money a Miami would. And no one's offering money in Miami. That's the no thing. one you, is. You that's can, the thing. That's our problem because we are competing in state with them. We can offer the second most. But if they're offering the first most, it doesn't fucking like, matter. Like, like I said yesterday, not, not yesterday, like I said earlier in the podcast, USC would struggle with Miami right now. Right. Alabama is struggling with Miami. Yeah. No one is sick in the head enough to offer what John Ruiz is offering. It'll be real interesting in a few years to see if all those payments were paid in full. I also that, is my, that is my number one thing. Will all those payments be paid in full? It's, it's an interesting, I think, dilemma that it puts Mario in because if you're, you know, Mario... You obviously want to control the narrative that it's your program as a head coach. When a big part of the reason you're landing these kids is some egotistical, mentally ill billionaire getting into little Twitter arguments with Gator fans. That's a terrible look I mean, he, for he you. He takes but time really out of his day to argue with Dan Thompson. Like, <laughs> not even Dan, like no, random he, Gator fans. He's yeah. arguing with like the Gator most, Josh. Like, Gator, like, uh, Gator and it's like, yeah, you know, that says a lot about you as a person, I think. But, you, I mean... The worst person to be up in this kind of argument with is someone that, that whatever petty, you know I, what I mean. Like, honestly, like <laughs> I don't really want to talk about this anymore. Yeah, there, no, there's not too. right now. We are just talking about the fact that a 17 year old could not turn down six million dollars, which I agree I would have done the same. Which thing is complete when I was seven. Yeah. Which right, I, I would have done the same thing yeah. when I was 17 year old. That's really what it boils down to. It sucks. We don't have a John Ruiz that goes to Florida. I tell my dad this every day. John Morgan, let's start dropping bags. Uh, Who's John Morgan? He owns Morgan & Morgan, the largest, Morgan law, Morgan. Large, largest law firm in the United States. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, At the end of the day, just, I guess. He's probably, yeah. on, he is probably our most well-off alumni right now. Like, he, he makes Really? Money. I don't know. I mean, that's a huge blanket statement. You know what? You know what? Here's a thought. Here's a thought. In terms of the NIL scape, he is very involved in the NIL what about, scape. What about Dan Bilzerian? He's kind of like John Ruiz. He's sure. a mentally bring ill him billionaire. In. Yeah, bring him in. With a huge yeah. oversized ego. Oh, my God. Like, why I not just get Dan Bilzerian yeah, to start? Yeah, what are we doing? I mean, that'd be great. Oh, my goodness. Give, oh, give, yeah. uh, get you know what? Guy. And they can hang out with his supermodels, You know what? Panich is making a lot of money at DTF around. these days. Let's get him to yeah. start throwing back. I mean, Dan Bilzerian, he's got, like, all these girls in bikinis just sort of, like, Oddly following him around everywhere, <laughs> which is really weird. But if you could offer that to the recruits, like be like Screw Rick, Ruiz, yeah. be like Rick Pitino. Dude <laughs> has uh, thirty three million followers. Guys. So yeah, yeah. yeah, it's unbelievable. We like, took a loss to the Canes, and we might be taking a loss to another rival on Saturday. Yeah, I guess Probably we do will. have to talk about this game, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, three thirty Halloween weekend <laughs> every year on the St. John's River at Everbank Field. <sighs> 22 and a half, right? What's, this spread is 22 and a half. It opened at 17, mm-hmm. moved rapidly to 20. Then I believe it's moved even more to 22. Yeah. I think for our defense, it is a uniquely terrible matchup. It is a bad matchup. Even that, it, it, it <laughs> I is, don't think we can guard one tight it's, end. It's a really, let alone three. really, really, and I'm going to throw in one more really horrible That's fair. matchup for our defense. Yeah. However... I don't hate the matchup for the offense. I don't hate it. And this is what I'm boiling the game down to, and it's going to sound really simplistic. But you know what? We're the common fan. We're delivering this to you as the common fan. It is going to come down to the fact we are not going to be able to stop them. Are we going to score with them? That is the question. I think that is the question of the game, and that will determine whether we cover or not. We're not winning, but I think we could cover. In a game this, when, when you know the talent level is... The way it is. I think one thing 
you need to see the AR who's willing to use his legs 15 times, right? 100%. Like he must run the ball 15 or more times. And you can't turn the ball over once. No. Again, these are very basic things. But it, it, but the thing is, I see this as a game where Anthony's going to force a lot. And he might make a couple knuckleheaded interceptions like we've seen him prone to in the past. Just In terms of trying to force the ball into Ricky on a route that he hasn't finished with yet or trying to force it in too early. I mean, we see that often throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, Missouri was able to have some ground game success where they were. Yeah. Our offensive line, like, if there's any year where our O-line versus their front seven is going to be at least somewhat of a draw, like, you know, we're not going to throw them around the way we did with Utah, but yeah, I think there will be some holes. and It's not going to be like 2014 where we handed off 60 times and we're just gashing them, right? But I think we will be able to score some. But at the end, it comes down to if ARs you know, the way he was against Utah. Because we, we become very one-dimensional when he's not, like Kentucky. Yeah, and I, I unfortunately think we are going to be pretty one-dimensional. I don't think we're going to really be opening it up. I, I just don't see that happening with the staff. I, I think they're going to count their losses. They're going to go in with a game plan that will put them in the best position to keep it close. I think we're going to try and dominate the time of possession, which is a great game plan, but I don't know if it's going to work out the way we want it to. I'd like to see them right. get creative with the way we run the football, I'd like to see a lot of RPOs. I'd like to see a lot of sets where we line both of them up back there in kind of a twin set and mm-hmm. kind of force you to do a misdirection. Because, look, if either ETN or Johnson are in the field, they're going to garner the attention of a linebacker. It's yeah, it's just inevitable. So I would really like to see, honestly, a lot of twin sets where you're kind of putting one of them in motion to try and confuse the defense. I'm going to repeat it again. I mean, it's really what it boils down to. Can we score with them? That's right. And, and beyond that, as you said, I think you made a great point. They're, they're going to try to keep the ball away from Georgia. And they're, they're, you, running the football is the key to winning this game. And you have to, I mean, to at least keep it close. I mean, you have to be able mm-hmm. to get chunk runs, 10 yards, 5 yards, 6 yards. And if you can do that and have sustained long drives, keeps your offense on the field and obviously keeps their offense off the field, which is which is – the key in this game is keeping their offense off the field. But an interesting fact here, and I, I know that they obviously have a lot more yards total and a lot more offensive p- production, but I, this you know how ESPN has the leading receiving or leading, really leading running back? Um, Stats-wise on, like, put out here, I didn't realize this. It's actually kind of interesting. Um, So their leading running back, Dejon Edwards, 59 carries. Mm-hmm. Montreal Johnson also. 59 carries this season. Edwards, 334 yards and five touchdowns on those 59 carries. Montrell Johnson, 425 yards and seven touchdowns. So two more touchdowns and almost 90 more yards on the same amount of carries, which is interesting. Brock Bowers, who, I don't know, as a, as a, as a casual Georgia viewer, assumed he had a lot more yards and had a ton of yards. 26 receptions, 393 yards, two touchdowns. He's their leading receiver. How many rushing yards does he have, though? Uh, t- oh, I guess it's a good point because he had those. They had a couple of uh, long rushing. Um, so three rushes for 82 yards, and yeah, three. Rushes three wait, wait, wait! Wow, three yeah. touchdowns. So every three time rushes, he's the ball, 82 been a yards and a touch and three touchdowns. That is yeah. three attempts for three touchdowns. Yeah, that's, that's a great stat. That is bizarre. Yeah. But then, meanwhile, our leading receiver, Justin Shorter, he has. Eight less receptions than Brock Bowers. 18 receptions. But he has 15 yeah. more yards. 405 yards. And two touchdowns. The passing game has come along a lot more later in the season than I thought it would. 
I still think we're very limited by our receivers, but I think a lot of it's the way Anthony's grown throughout the season as yes. a passer. Yeah. I think he's really kind of learned that, okay, I need to step up in the pocket, read through my progressions. And I think that's a good thing, but I don't think it's going to be done developing after this year. I think he needs another year, but that's a whole question for another time. Yeah, yeah. In terms of this game, I think the biggest matchup will be in the trenches, specifically Jalen Carter versus Osiris Torrance. That is an NFL, and that's a heavyweight, right? Really. It's a heavyweight matchup, an NFL matchup. If there are scouts in the building, that is what they will be looking at. If we could keep a clean pocket for Anthony, we've seen what he can do in a clean pocket. We've seen what he can do even when he doesn't have a clean pocket, but we've seen how good he is when he has a clean pocket. The pocket's been pretty clean all year. And it, so exactly. Things start, really could start to spiral if it's not. But So I think that's the most important thing. I think you give Anthony time to read through his progression, try and get the ball out. And if he can't, don't force it. Get the ball out of bounds. We'll take another day. And something I said, I know I already said I want to see a lot of twin sets with ETN and Montreal Johnson. I'm a huge proponent, specifically in this game, of getting the ball in your best playmaker's hands, which means I want at least 10 touches for Trevor ETN. Whether you line him up at running back, whether you line him up at receiver, which is something I've been screaming. Get him the football. I've been screaming for them to line him up at receiver. I think he'd be... I think, besides Ricky, he would be our best receiver. I I agree. He would be so good. I mean, watching Travis play on Sundays, they play so similarly. It's absurd. They're they're both so athletic, such twitchy runners, so downhill in their style, but for their frame, the way they run, it's insane. I, I have an admiration for the ETN brothers. I think that's a major key to the game, but... I do not think this is a winnable football game. Nope. It's just not. Well, what about you? What if we just fuck around and win? Just, just, said, fuck it. just said fuck it. Just Again, won. that's what you said before we started recording. And I'm like, what do you mean? We just say fuck it. Like, win the game. Just, just fuck it. Why not? You never know. There's a reason why you play. Correct. That's why they play the game. It's true. Burn. It's burn. Boomer. Some spread. <laughs> it is some spread. <laughs> Half, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's just not much to talk about for this game. It's, it's All right, score predictions. Well, like, it, it's crazy because this is the SEC on CBS game. This is one of the greatest traditions in college football. Like, oh, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be a great time, but the best game in the SEC East is Kentucky-Tennessee this weekend. And that, uh, yeah. Like, it's crazy to think uh, that it's the Florida-Georgia game and it means nothing. It, it, well, it means something. I think this game... W- I. Th- I mean, I agree with a lot of the points that you made about you know keys to the game. What we have to, I, Anthony will be be have to you know be able to see checkdowns and make the right throw because Missouri was able to hang on to the ball for a while and keep it close. A lot of that they weren't even having that much success on the ground. It was Brady Cook just being able to you know make a lot of dink and dunk throws, and they never really felt like they were going to win even when they were leading. Right. They did enough to really keep it close. Like, right. But uh, offensively, I think this game. Will tell us a lot about, you know, Napier's abilities to, you know, scheme, make play calls. Because if we, if we really come out just you know running the base offense that you saw against Missouri against Kentucky, and it were really stale and and just you know not much creativity, then I just want that's a get me excited look. for a quarter. Get me excited for a quarter. That's all I'm asking for, right. Billy. Like, script your first 15 plays and give us something to be excited but Don't about, do the you know? same bullshit where we come out, run up the middle, run up the middle, crossing route for shorter, incomplete punt. Be creative. Try something. Right. Like, Especially because last night I was watching, it was after we lost Cormani, and I turned on ESPN to watch the NC State-Virginia Tech game because 
Hartman did his parlay, which ended up hitting, and then I knew Dan Mullen was calling the game. And watching Dan Mullen in the booth, just absolutely giving a masterclass, describing everything offensively that was going on, calling out the plays before they happened, it was like... I don't think anyone could doubt that Dan Mullen is far and away a better X's and O's. No, not at all, but it's like... Billy Napier. It's like, sort of like an X where like, you don't regret ending things with them because. But it sounds had, fun. Like a one night stand were, for the game tomorrow they, would be fun with him. Like, they had qualities that you know it, it was never going to work out. Like, you, you don't regret that you ended it with them. But you know, seeing them just in their element like that after you just struck out, like it's like, man, like, why did we have to end this thing? Maybe we, should, we you know. Yeah. And if we really get blown out Saturday, then that's going to hit a little harder. Yeah. Right, but but and, and this is because remember twenty twenty the wheel routes like man. Of course, and, and, we had some good times, Dan. We did. We did. We had no, some really, absolutely. really, really crazy good times. There were times where I mean that twenty twenty season specifically, yeah. where you just were just enthralled with Dan Mullen and his ability to, to call offense plays. But what's different about this year? I mean, I feel like the last few times we played Georgia in a position that we were you know massive underdogs, expected to get blown out. It's it was kind of like you know the ending of the tenure of our, of our head coach. You kind of feel it ending. You kind of feel it coming into a class. Now it's it's flipped, or it's the beginning. You know, so everything that happens is so, like, oh, okay, this is something we can, you know, we can do right. and we can build off let's, of. Let's talk about this crazy scenario where we win. Just because, just, just for shit. Hypothetically. Well, yeah. we can only talk about it now. The Hypothetically. After, so let's talk about it. It would now. mean Anthony Richardson has put on a superhero performance that will probably be the defining moment of his draft stock. Yeah. It will also mean that Billy has shown his ability to adjust and be creative and adjust the scheme. Yes. It'll mean that Patrick D- Tony got a stop on third down, hopefully. And it will also mean that we will be five and three with the next four being A&M, South Carolina, Vandy, FSU. All not necessarily easy games, but winnable, especially if you After beat just this Georgia push. team. And now let's just say you run the table there. That's nine and three. So everything we want is still in our hands. We just have to keep in mind we had such a hard, difficult start to the season. So that's me trying to be positive. I don't think it's going to be close. I think we're going to lose convincingly. But I'm just saying there's a world where everything Gator fans wanted at the beginning of the year minus Cormani That McClain, is possible. It's possible. Yeah, that is possible. possible. I, and at nine you know and three, I'd give up Cormani McLean for a win over Georgia every single day. You know what? In the nine of and life. three, you know yes. where that probably puts you. Nine Sugar and three Bowl. probably puts you in the Peach Bowl. Peach Bowl, yep. I'd fucking kill for Peach Bowl. Can probably me, put you in the Peach Bowl. Give me a fat, at worst, juicy peach. At worst, the Outback juicy. Bowl. The worst, at worst would be the Get Outback Bowl. Get to play bowl. TCU. Mm, nice you know, and juicy peach. Yeah, you're right. This bye week, tell us a lot about this staff. Because you're right. That With a new staff, a not week, a very talented a really Gator game. team compared to other years, a uniquely hard schedule at the beginning. It's rare that you play four ranked teams before your bye week. Exactly, but even if we lose this week, the, the, the odds kind of were stacked against. So, you know, we survived, made it to the bye week four and three. You might come out looking good, or you might get killed. Even if we lose this week, that's four losses. Like I said, they're not necessarily easy games, but they're winnable. Right. You run the table. That's eight and four. Better than what most people predicted us to be. This it's that's what we way, predicted. I think all yeah. of us had yeah. eight four or nine and three or seven. Yeah, the narrative, I think, LSU not getting off the field on third. Gervon Dexter's uh, roughing, really, I think, completely shifted the narrative of our season because if yep. we're coming off a win against LSU, we forget how terrible the defense looked, 
And we would have been, they would have ranked us if we beat LSU that yeah. game. And now, like, it's, like, to the point where I've, like, resigned myself to, you know what? Like, I will literally take six and six at this point. I Just agree. get to a bowl game and, and salvage the recruiting class. Because it's not even a guarantee. That, like, like I was saying, the games are winnable. But also lose they're it. also like, very losable. We might not win a single game for the if, rest of the if year. If you do lose all of your toss-ups like we have been so far, you're talking five and seven. There is one game on the schedule that we absolutely must win, and that's Vanderbilt. Like every other game we could lose. Right. Literally, South Carolina is playing great football right now. People but, are not appreciating right, no, it. Because right. coming into the year, like there were so many games where it's like, well, we could win. But, you know, Georgia, you marked down as a sure loss. Vanderbilt, sure win. USF, sure win. But Utah, Kentucky, LSU... Those four were like, those could go either way. We went one and three in those. If you lose all of those remaining, South Carolina, FSU. When it's all said and done and we have our end of the season episode and we reflect on the season as a whole, I think the one thing that will come to my mind is just roller coaster. Emotional it's been an coaster. emotional roller coaster. Like, yeah. we, it's just the fact that the Utah game was first because it put right. us in a position where we had to invest so much emotionally in this team, <laughs> yes. which we should have just... It was a horrible investment to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now, that, that raised Lord. the expectations because that was the first we had seen of any Billy Napier coach game, and it was just like, holy shit, if, if he can do this week one, imagine what he can do week five. Imagine what right. he can do a year two. Like, that was kind of the thought process. So, it's tough... It was, I mean, that was still, that was still the best game we've played all year. 100%. Yeah. And if we play like that on Saturday, who knows? Before we pick this game, I want to talk about one more thing about this game. The contract with the city of Jacksonville, the NFL, mm -hmm. and the Jacksonville Jaguars is up next year. There's a lot of turmoil about whether this game will stay in Jacksonville. Kirby Smart has been an outspoken supporter of it moving away from Jacksonville. I kind of just wanted to get your guys' opinions on this because we've, only known the Florida Georgia game. We right. grew up with nothing besides it. My dad told me that when he was coming up, you know, there was a few times where they played it at Georgia. They played it at Florida. I just want to get your guys' opinions on it. Honestly, I've always wanted them to do a three-year thing. I don't know if they can. I don't think they can. But I would. I've always wanted like a, a one-year Gainesville, one-year Athens, one-year Jacksonville, and a three-year rotation. I think it'd be so cool. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if it makes sense, but I just think it'd be really cool. I prefer four. I would like it to be still in Jacksonville half the time. Okay, yeah, or, or two years in Jacksonville and then switch up. I would love to. Oh, yeah, it would be cool. I just have always wanted one time in my life a Florida-Georgia game on campus in Gainesville. I think that'd be just insane. Yeah, but what if it was like this year? It, it no, be, right, exactly. It wouldn't be the same. Right, you want it to be the a certain year. So, no, so here's my opinion on it. I think there is a lot of benefit to it not being in Jacksonville, specifically in recruiting. However, I do think this is one of the bigger rivalries in college football, specifically in terms of the division, and I do understand that they're doing away with divisions, but Georgia will always be one of our set opponents. No yes. ifs, ands, or buts yeah. about it. Yes. 100%. I think this is a game where there needs to be something special to it, and I do understand that it's basically a home game for us, even yeah. though it's split down the middle. It's basically like it's an hour away from our campus. Yeah. Our, our, the biggest metropolitan city for the city of Gainesville is Jacksonville. Like, there, there's no question about it. I would let it go to Atlanta. I would be willing to alternate every year Jacksonville or Atlanta. I think it's fair. I think we still recruit heavily out of Georgia. Yeah. So it would be good to get recruits, if, especially if we have things rolling with Billy, to get recruits in that beautiful stadium. Watch us potentially put a beat down on Georgia one day. That'd be awesome. However, I was talking to Seth Harp, and he said that apparently the NFL is really pressuring the city of Jacksonville to renovate every bank. Not even renovate it. Knock it down and put up a new one. Just because of how... And I've seen talk about he that. said that if that happens, that'll be a two, three-year process. Right. 
and the game can't be played there anyways. Where so at that Jaguars point, play? it would have to be. You know what Seth said? Here. He said you get eight home games. Four of them would be in London. Four of them would be here. Holy I could see that. I, I could really see that. Wow. In terms of market, I mean, it makes the most sense. Imagine being a student here. You have NFL Sundays. Yeah, and just seeing like Trevor Lawrence so cool. at the Hub Chick Fil A. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I remember they were briefly talking about it during COVID about playing games here. Like, yeah, yeah. I remember we used to always say, like, imagine walking out of the A Pie house and seeing Saquon, like, doing high knees. Like, <laughs> Russell Wilson. No, that's just so knees. cool. It's just, like, we're, like, college students, like, ready to watch Sunday football. We can just be like, oh, you just want to go to the Jazz game? game? Well, if you think about it, when <laughs> they were building U.S. Bank, when they were building U.S. Bank, Minnesota, the Vikings played at University of Minnesota. Golden Gophers, right. yeah. When they were building CenturyLink, Seattle played at Washington when they were. Yeah. That's what happens when they build stadiums. You play at a college town, so that's a whole different question. In terms of the, I do think I understand Kirby's point. You know, people are so dismissive of saying, "Oh, Kirby's smart. It's a tradition." No, it, it is smart to want your biggest game of the year on campus. That is smart, especially from a recruiting perspective. But I do think there is some sort of grandeur with this game that shouldn't be lost, even with the new format of the SEC. I'm willing to put it in Atlanta. That is my final verdict: Atlanta and Jacksonville every year. I'm going to say it every other year. World's largest outdoor cocktail party because they don't want us to say it anymore. Yeah, they don't they like wanna, it. They don't like that. Yeah. Well, we're saying it. We're it, definitely I mean, saying it. Yeah. And we will be cocktailing on Saturday. We'll probably get there at like 1130. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. I am excited. For it was kind of dead going. last year. I think it'll be a little more energetic this year. I agree. Uh, just because of Anthony. You're one. You're one. You're one. Why not? Anthony could do something weird. You never know. That said... Let's give our predictions. I wish we were here the year was on game day, man. Yeah, that would have been cool. Were you, wait, that was your freshman year, right? No, that was our freshman year. I'm pretty what sure. I'm pretty sure we got it two weeks. No, ago. No, no, no. It was here's, we, here's what happened. We had Auburn on campus and then we played LSU. Right. Yeah. The year before we were on game day with Felipe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow, Felipe. That was your freshman year. Yeah. yeah. You, you were there. Yeah, of course. That was game day. I didn't go to game day. Because by the time you get there, uh, it's already pretty much over. That's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, We lost that game, what, 29-17 that year, right? They were mm, we were seven and they, they were five. I think they scored thirty something. Oh, yeah, they really might got, have it got away in the second half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. We were seven. They were five. Henderson and Marco were out, and then we had C.J. McWilliams. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah So it was like it was close at halftime. We even were leading. I think we scored right after halftime. Thirty-six we seventeen, and then from that point on, from. From torched us. Yeah, the score was uh, twenty to fourteen, or we were up fourteen thirteen in the third quarter. Yeah, and it was twenty three seventeen in the fourth quarter, and then they scored two straight touchdowns mm. in the last eight minutes to win the game. Tough. Is that Jake Fromm still? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Jake Fromm had two hundred and forty yards and three touchdowns. Gators, DeAndre Swift was their leading rusher, and Isaac Nada was their leading. Receiver, who was the Florida Gators leading receiver? That game, 2018. Uh, he didn't do much. He didn't do much. It's pretty unfortunate. Uh, Tyree Cleveland. I'll go Van. First, first of all. Van wasn't on the team yet. Uh, correct. He was not on the team. Felipe Franks went 13 of 21, 105 yards. Actually, Van was on the team. Yeah. Oh, Van was on the team because that was the flea flicker. That was that Felipe just missed. Leading receiver with two receptions for 35 yards and a touchdown was... Current Miami Dolphin. Freddie Swain. Freddie Swain. I forget he's on our practice squad. On man. our practice squad. Wow. Um, score prediction, Sam, go. I don't know. I'm going to go Georgia Georgia 34, Florida 14. 
I just don't think we'll get it going. 34 to 14. Thirty-eight to twenty-one. That's fair. <laughs> Dog. That's that's pretty. That's pretty positive. That's covering. Um, I'm going to take Georgia forty-two, Florida seventeen. Okay. Not so we're covering. all taking a blow. Not covering. Yeah. I'm probably not going to bet on us. I have a few other bets I like this week. Not all blowouts are created equally, though. Yeah. Correct. Sometimes you're just a couple score. They're just a couple scores better than you are. Yeah. And you I know, mean. I mean, it. it Wow. All right. Well, speaking of other games, what a very resigned it's a, it's a great week of studio call, today. It's a great week of college football, nonetheless. I mean, well, we every are, week is. We already alluded. We course, say it every week. Every week because they all are. But we already alluded to one of the bigger games this week: Tennessee versus Kentucky, a defining game in the SEC yeah. East. Kentucky's got him back on track after losing to South Carolina without Will Levis, powered behind that rushing attack with Chris Rodriguez. Tennessee. I mean, what can what else can you say about them? Best offense in the country, potentially even a historic offense. Hennon Hooker is. Becoming a runaway Heisman favorite. Mm-hmm. The spread on this game is 13. I believe the Vols will cover. I just think the style of play in Kentucky, yes, well, the easiest way to slow down a high-octane offense is by pounding the ball. I just think Tennessee doesn't need time. They, I also, they, they don't need yeah. time to score. It, it, time of possession does not matter to them. I also think that, you know, Tennessee... We have a very good offensive line, and we like to run the football, but they were able to pretty much neutralize us on the ground. Yeah. Like, they let us know. They're not bad on the interior on their defense. They're is, really not. I think this Kentucky's is the, offensive line is actually not that good. I think this they're is a game where Will Levis kind of gets exposed for being a little one-dimensional. I, I, he hasn't been that good this year. He really hasn't been that good. And I was very high on Kentucky coming into the year, and the problem I have with them, I think, is Levis. I mean, there's been some games where I've watched him, and he kind of just looks a little lost back there. I mean, he's got a beautiful arm, makes some beautiful scrambles sometimes. But if you're comparing him to Hooker, Young, Stroud, I think even Richardson, like, I think they're all just better players. They're, yeah. they're, they're all just have better tools, better... I don't get the comparisons to Josh Allen for Will Levis. I, I don't get them at all. You know what comparison I think? I think he's got, like, some Mitch Trubisky to him. That's actually a very good one. Yeah, like I think he's got some Mitch Trubisky. Daniel Jones is also it. not a yeah, bad. Like a Daniel um, Jones, where he's got the tools, but he also has his limitations. Where yeah. he might just not be able to overcome them. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, but looking at just Tennessee's offensive numbers, it is genuinely unbelievable. How just they just put up ridiculous numbers week in and week out. They are becoming an offensive just juggernaut this season. They've been probably the best offense in the entire country. Um, I think Kentucky hangs in there. I think their defense does a pretty good job, neutralizes uh, Hooker early on in the first half, maybe like a 14-10 game. Then Tennessee's offense comes alive in the third quarter. They begin to pull away. I got Tennessee covering minus 12, 38-20. I agree, and I think 12 points is nothing for Tennessee. Before Jake gives his prediction – I was kind of just going along with your covering, and I explained why for the most part. Oh, perfect. Everyone's waiting on, again, everyone's just waiting on the week when Tennessee's offense doesn't do what they've been doing all year. You put the LSU or the Alabama logo, as, as much as this pains me to, to be um, talking up Tennessee here, you put a different logo on them, and we're, I think we're talking about it a little differently. I, 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 and I also want to lay out a scenario here where it is very possible that we get two SEC teams, two Big Ten teams in the playoff. 
Yes and no. I don't know if it's a real possibility, but I think there's an argument to be made that really Ohio State, the, Michigan, I really hope Georgia, Tennessee is back their yeah. way in there because it'd be so goddamn boring. No, it would probably be. It would probably be. Tennessee would have to make the playoff. Not no. Tennessee would have to lose to Georgia, but Alabama would have to win the SEC. Bama wins the SEC. Wait, wait. There's multiple scenarios. Well, it Bama could be would, both Tennessee and Georgia. Because if Georgia just runs the table, yeah. and then Tennessee's only loss is to Georgia, they're probably both in. But Bama, if they win, yeah, I mean Bama is, can still definitely make the, make the playoff. They only have one loss, right? What What about? Here's one: Georgia goes undefeated. Bama goes undefeated. Bama Whoa. beats Georgia. Bama's a one loss SEC champ. Tennessee's a one loss team with a close loss to Georgia, but they beat Bama, who's in. And then Georgia is one loss, but their only loss being to Bama. What do you do? I, I'm rooting for chaos at this point. <laughs> that's all I can root for. Sam, you got what if TCU school? and Clemson are on? Yeah, I just got into a law school. Let's go. Which law school? FIU. Hype. Yeah. Go Panthers. Go Panthers. Go Panthers. Wow. That's I did not call. realize it was going to be that quick. Mario Cristobal. Holy shit. Uh, FIU is actually really nice. Like the Doral area, very nice. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it could be an option. Who knows? West Miami is like, I like, unfortunately, the Canes a little better. What a great I mean, Coral Gables is nice, but West Miami is a nice place. What a great Cuban food. Speaking of which, we're going to yes. go eat Miapa shortly after Woo! we record here. I want to go to, like, Cafe Versailles when I go to Miami again. That place is... I tried going after the Marlin game, which I went oh, to in May. I'm sure Popping it's like, in. I'm sure it's, like, ridiculous. Yeah. Know. You have to go, like, on a random They have, like, a 24-hour, like, bakery section, though. Like, the main restaurant's closed, but you can go, like, any time. Cuban bakeries are just absurdly good. Uh, speaking of good restaurants, I've had it down twice in a week. Sam put me on this. Hogan's. Hogan's lo- Great Sandwiches. It's, original. it's called let's, Hogan's let's, Great Sandwiches. They're pretty great. They're pretty great. No, they... Hogan's, but then it's, in quotes, great sandwiches. So they didn't say that. Somebody oh. said that. Somebody said that. Oh, on Online, on, on the map, on the map app, it says Hogan's great. I thought that was the name. But if, if you like go the there, no, the name is Hogan's, but if you go there, it says Hogan's, and then you're right, in you're quotations, right. great sandwiches. It's got a little so bit of like a dive bar-y feel to it. And it's the very sandwiches cool. are yeah. just unbelievable. Really, really good sandwiches. Here's one. What about Sandwich Inn? Have you guys been there? No. Gainesville's oldest restaurant. Really? You can get a sandwich for $3, like a burger, no. bacon, egg, and cheese, no. country fried steak, egg, and cheese. No. It's on... Uh, it closes soon. 16th and Main. 16th and Main, kind of a little northeast. Um, cool spot. Cool spot. $3? The prices are on... Yeah. I mean, the prices like are 1963 prices. How Very do cool. they survive? Well, I mean, I don't think the overheads... It's a little shack sort of place and they it, it's kind of a sandwich that you would make yourself at home but it's like really good like that i mean that's you know i'm going there martin's potato bun nice egg good bacon it's sunday morning good we'll stuff. see you there yeah sunday morning we'll see you i'm there. down to go yeah i had a dolphin's lines shameless plug um, sandwiches shameless plug mm-hmm. well you, it's only a plug if you make them right All right uh lock of the week cincinnati minus one and a half at ucf I'm gonna take my, I'm gonna take my double in the road to Embers. Which, by the way, I haven't given pe- the people an update on the road to Embers in a while. I got off to a really slow start, so I had an eight point deficit. Luckily, the past couple of weeks, I've been keeping up with Edelman because he's been on a tear this year. But I've been, I've been coming for blood recently. I've, I, I got 
seven game, six games right two weeks ago, seven games right last week. I've cut the deficit to seven. We have five different games this week, including a differing double. So it's moving week for Embers. That said, my lock of the week is Wake Forest minus four at Louisville. It feels like a trap spread, but I have faith in Clawson and the boys to just get it done. They're much better than Louisville is this year. Hartman is... I think Hartman might get an invite to New York for the Heisman ceremony, which Tyler is absurd. Hartman. They're number yeah, 10 in the last night. That's like, it's absurd. Really yeah. underrated how good they've been and this they year. They could have been like that. They, they, they really should have. I mean, yeah. I, that's the one thing about this college football season, mm-hmm. other than Florida-related things. If I could go change it, I'd change the result of that game. Because undefe- talking about an undefeated Clemson team is so boring because you know they get to the, if they get to the playoff, they're going to oh. get freaking blown out. Yeah, exactly. But, like, Wake Forest making the playoff, I don't care if they get blown out. Right. How cool is that? Right, you yeah, know? exactly. I agree. Um, no, I, I like that spread a lot. Wake Forest minus three and a half. I, I said Cincinnati is actually plus one and a half uh, at the bounce house the bounce in Orlando house. against the US, UCF Knights who got obliterated by Eastern Carolina last week. Eastern Carolina's not terrible. But my other lock of the week, I wanted to, that was sort of like just a fun one because I really hate UCF fans. They love, they love it going after me on Twitter when I just tweeted about uh, Cormani McLean like three hours before he committed to Miami and everyone's like coming at me like, uh, Florida whiffed, whatever. Um, TCU ranked number seven in the nation, minus seven and a half at a pretty bad West Virginia yeah. team. I like TCU to cover there. They're telling you shootout is what they're telling you with that right. spread because no one thinks West Virginia is going to be able to stop TCU. Lost, but West Virginia lost forty-eight to ten to Texas to Tech Texas, last yeah. week. Yeah, no, Texas they, they are not good. Texas Tech. But Vegas is telling you JT Daniels will be able to score against TCU. And you know what? He probably will be. So let's see the over-under for this game. The over-under is 68 and a half. I think that's very overable. This game could be a 70. Entirely overable. Yeah. This game could be in the 70s. I, I like um, TCU, we'll call it like 49-38. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Something big. I like that. Which game are we predicting? Sorry, I'm a little distracted. I just got into law school. I mean, that's there's a lot going on you for him be over distracted. here. We're yeah. talking about TCU West Virginia. There's nothing to be. You don't have to be distracted or not. Notre Dame at Syracuse is a pretty interesting game. Noon. Yeah, nooner. Yeah, I mean that's one you see before the season, and you think, okay, but Notre Dame, they had a really ugly loss a couple weeks ago that I think kind of flew under the radar a little bit. They lost to Stanford. Yeah, Which right nobody, now is not good. Yeah, Stanford is bad. Yeah, that like nobody. Stanford's two and four. Nobody is talking. About, I mean, Stanford beat they beat Arizona State. Oh well, I guess they were zero and four when they played Notre Dame. They were zero and four. Stanford's been their I mean, first win was against Notre Dame. David Shaw has been asleep at the wheel there, leading that program for yeah, like four or five four years. Four years. Now. Nobody is even. They're running the offense they used to run when they had and Andrew Luck and yeah, a five star tight end every year and good alignment and now. They just haven't adapted. It's Dan, Dan Mullen would be great is, at Stanford. He, he likes. Is, he is, uh, oh, I agree. But he's, Stanford. Wow, David Shaw is still the coach there, and he was a great coach. He was getting for, NFL buzz. Remember that? Oh, yeah. yeah Every absolutely. year. Right, like, and he was on the, the NFL. He's, he might even still be, be on the NFL network coverage of the NFL draft every year. Mm-hmm. Remember when, remember when uh, McCaffrey was drafted, and they like went to a shot of David Shaw, and he was like almost in tears? He was like... This means so much. He's a great player. And it's just like so bizarre they just have a random college coach on, on the set. But regardless, yeah, no, they have been so bad for like three or four straight years now. And nobody's talking about it. But they beat Notre Dame. And Notre Dame, I guess Notre Dame is kind of in the same position as us. 
mm-hmm. in, in where they are as a program as a whole. Like, I mean, four and three. Not um, all four and three created equally, though. Right. We didn't lose to Marshall. Yeah, you're correct. And we, we beat the good team we had to. I guess BYU would have been their good win. Yeah. Like, like our Utah. But Utah's better than BYU. Regardless, Syracuse, I like the minus two and a half at the Carrier Dome. Mm-hmm. A packed Carrier Dome. Okay. Lock of the week, you know, I don't really have one. I like, unfortunately, I know hindsight's easy, but we usually record Thursdays. I loved uh, Virginia Tech to cover last night, and they did. Yeah, it was close in a Dan Bowen called yeah. game. But for tomorrow, I'll go. Pitt is struggling this season. I know a lot of people had him ranked still going into this year, but they miss Kenny Pickett and Addison more than people think, or more than people wanted to admit. North Carolina offensively is humming on all cylinders. They could go 11-1, and one, North Carolina. They won't, but they could. Yeah, you and North Carolina minus right three over like really minus good. three over Pitt. I'll, I'll go with North Carolina. Yeah, I agree with that. The, them being ranked right now is like also flying very under much under the radar. Like I feel like after they lost, mm, they uh, play it way today, and everyone yeah. kind of just kind of just forgot about they it. They can't stop anybody, but they did just beat Duke by three. Duke's um, not a bad football Duke, team right now. I mean, Duke obliterated Miami. Yeah. Which isn't saying much. Miami at Virginia. What's the spread on that one? Miami um, getting two and a half. Miami plus two and a half. If there's anything I like there. Oh, no, no, they're minus two and a half. Right, right, right. Yeah. I don't, I mean, if there's anything I would pick there, it'd be probably the under. Because Virginia all of a sudden has a miserable offense to watch. The under is, the over under is 48 and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can see a little 2015, 2017 type Van score. Dyke's out. From oh, Miami. right, right. Garcia came in. Some of the fans had been calling for him to start over Van Dyke. He's not good. He threw three interceptions He's not against good. Duke. He's not good. He's not good. And, Vi- uh, and Van Dyke, I mean. He's going to hit the portal and be good. No, else. absolutely. No, no, no. I mean, this is what I'm saying. Like, maybe this is a lot like Justin Herbert. Like, maybe, maybe it really is. Like, I mean, Herbert, yeah. even with a great roster at Oregon and what was a great team that won the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. Herbert what, really wasn't that good. Like, he really wasn't he that wasn't good. He was that nothing good. that special, and that's why I didn't want to And the crazy thing even about Van Dyke, though, like Herbert, it wasn't like he regressed significantly. Van Dyke, he's shown that in like a, a spread offense, which Miami had last year, how good he can be. Like he's shown it at the college level. Same conference, same opponents. And now he, he's struggled, and now he's out with a shoulder injury for a bit. So... We'll see. The Jake Garcia show tomorrow down we'll in Gables. We'll see. Or is that game at, at Virginia? Or? It is at Virginia. It is. Yes. It is in Blacksburg. Right? They play Blacksburg. Yeah, that's a little trappy. Charlottesville. Oh, Charlottesville. Tech. Blacksville. Blacksburg I've been to Charlottesville. Tech, yeah. Very nice town. Cool, cool college. Yeah. yeah. And then, Very oh, nice. I guess we got to talk for a second. You know crazy? The biggest was... game of the day, Ohio State, Penn State at noon. Right. Which we talked about last week. Which, how bad that is. I mean, yeah. can you? It, it would have been. I mean, this would have been an, an elite slate if that had just freaking been a night game. Like everything changes when you it's also. I mean, if you are Penn State and James Franklin, you're best. You got to be happy with the money that the Big Ten is now reeling in from this Fox deal. But you also got to be kind of annoyed to the fact that if this were a night game and this were a whiteout game, it just objectively would have given them a significantly better chance. Yes, one hundred percent. Ohio State. That is no they, question. They, 
how the, much the Big Ten should be annoyed as well. I yeah. mean, look, it's not their fault that TV time slots are the way they are, but yeah. I mean, financially, it makes sense for them to own the noon time slot. But mm-hmm. um, I also think OSU might blow them out. I I, don't oh, think I, agree. I think they'll cover sixteen. Yeah, I also do believe. I don't know if you guys. Sorry, I know I've been kind of distracted, but like. I think Michigan's going to cover against Michigan State as well. I just Me think, too. What, they, what, is it, what is that? 23, 23. 23. They could win that by 35 or 40. Oh, absolutely. Because Harbaugh, Harbaugh still has a losing record to Mel Tucker, which he wow. sure is not happy about. Yeah, no, they, they're, they're a far better team. I mean, last year, I, I think Michigan was probably put, but what, minus nine and a half against Michigan State, and that was a big upset. That was during yeah. the 4th Georgia week as well. Michigan was um, the better team last year, too. They just didn't win that game. But, right, yeah. right, right. Um, this this year, uh, utter blowout. I think Penn State covers by like a point. I, I think it's like Ohio State by 14, and it's maybe not even that close. I think it's consistently a 21, 14 to 21 lead for Ohio State the whole that game. That game's been that way the whole time Clifford's been playing for Penn State. Right. has been about that every year. Like, right. not really that close, but a couple scores. Uh, uh, there is an interesting game tonight that I I think could be worth mentioning. What game? ECU at BYM. Ooh, low key, like a kind of randomly. ECU is BYU schedule is so bizarre. ECU is fun. Holton Aller Aylers, their quarterback, lefty, fun to watch. Yeah, they just killed, and UCF. they just killed UCF too. Yeah, which is awesome. I love that. Is that game in it was East in, Carolina was or at in, BYU? It was in East Carolina. Oh, the game tonight is in BYU. It is in two Provo. completely different atmospheres. Oh my goodness! Yes. Alcohol consumption between those two schools are vastly is maybe Ooh, the widest gap. Yeah, I, alcohol consumption at Eastern Carolina, Carolina versus at BYU. BYU. Scott Snyder went to uh, ECU. Really? Did he actually? Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. ECU is is a definitely one of the better party schools. He was he was a frat guy back in his day at ECU. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Where is ECU? Uh, Greenville, maybe a green something. I think Greenville. Greenville sounds about right. I can look that yeah. up. Supposed um, to be a fun college town, underrated. It Co- is coastal really too. Good. Coastal. They have some fun party schools in North Carolina. Or is coastal in South Carolina? I have no idea. I don't um, know. Do we want rambling? Do, do we want to do the five minute dolphins? Because I'm getting kind of hungry. Uh yeah. Okay. Eastern Carolina is in Greenville. Coastal Carolina. Dolphins. Uh yeah. Is a win's in, a win's is a win. It, coastal right? Carolina is in Conway, South Carolina. Myrtle Beach area. Yeah. Spring break all the time. Yeah, that's cool. That's <laughs> cool. Um, the Dolphins are traveling to Detroit to take on the Lions. Why can't we just blow a team out? Just say fuck it and blow a team out. Like, at this point... Yeah, maybe both our teams say fuck it because you told them to. Yeah. Both our teams, yeah. Fuck it. Well, I mean, if there's a get-right spot for Tua to shake the cobwebs off a little bit, it's the Detroit Lions defense because they're right. awful. And they're they probably awful. shouldn't have picked Hutchinson at two. And... Hutchinson's been good. I mean, he had three sacks in week one, went invisible for about three or four weeks there. I just feel like Thibodeau's better. Probably. Thibodeau. 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 I, Thibodeau I, the thing with him is I would worry a little bit about injuries. Mm-hmm. He's already struggled a lot early on in his career, and was it was an issue at Oregon. I know he wasn't really, like, trying to be on the field a ton at Oregon because he already <laughs> was a top five pick. Right, but yeah. Um, Hutchinson is going to be really good. Hudson is like that Bosa type. He just Hudson will be very good. I, I was questioning him when he was coming out of Michigan, but from what I've seen so far in the pros, I think he has the tools so to had, sell. He had three time. sacks in week one, went a little invisible for a couple of weeks, had a sack and a half last week against Dallas. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, he's going to have to go up against Teron Armstead, so he will, again, be invisible. Do you know who leads the NFL in sacks? No. Steelers pass rusher Alex Highsmith. Really? Alex, Alex Highsmith last Funny. week... 
I think it was like eight or nine. I don't remember the number. I have to look that up. He was a Charlotte. Alex Highsmith, right? meanwhile, last week working on Toronto Armstead, I don't think he even has a single pressure against Toronto Armstead. Uh, Toronto Armstead is an absolute brick wall. He, he is an animal. And speaking of Dolphins who have been showing out, I personally thought Jalen Phillips should have been the AFC Defensive Player of the Week for his performance against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Highsmith has six and a half sacks. I want to give him a little shout-out. He had one and a half sacks. Eight total tackles. I'm pretty sure he had like two tackles for loss. Great game for Jalen. Oh Phillips. my goodness! And beyond just the great plays, yeah, he used a Miami Hurricane. Beyond just the great plays he made, a lot of effort plays. A lot of times lot where of he was effort. outside. I mean, he was the, the only sealer too. Sealer as well, but we've known that was sealer for right. a couple of years. Jalen Phillips. Meanwhile, I would like to highlight him. He was named. Um, what was it? One second. I Zach Sealer. Yeah. I mean, talk about. Talk about gritty, right? Jalen Phillips yeah. was named the NFLPA's Week 8 Community MVP after he brought 18 rookie teammates with him to visit and encourage 40, US, 40 youth at the Broward Regional Juvenile Detention Center. He is on the board of the Dolphins Challenge Cancer. Uh, he is one of the most active members of the community. Huge Jalen Phillips fan. He is one of the great uh, role models on that team, and he is quickly becoming a, a very, very, very productive and a very good pass rusher in Miami. So is, I mean, look at that draft class for the Dolphins last year with Jalen Phillips, with Jalen Waddle, who's becoming a legitimate star, being the fourth leading receiver in, in yards this season. And then Javon Holland, who, had, who was the captain on the defense side, had the pick, uh, the first pick that we thought, we thought had won the game at the time. And has just been, he hasn't given up a single touchdown in coverage all season. He's been all over the field as he was last year, and he's becoming a legitimate star safety. I think you can make the argument that he's been the best safety in the NFL this season. Um, that pick was unbelievable. Oh, such it was a crazy good play. that that didn't end the game. It is crazy. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's, it's poetic over. justice that Noah ended the game. Yeah, no, it, of course it had to happen. Noah Igbenogany making the play, former Auburn Tiger. Um, I, think, I think the Dolphins go out there, I think they established the run early. I think Raheem Moser gets involved beyond. I mean, the, the, the lines have a terrible pass defense, but they may even have an, an even worse rush defense. I mean, Rashawn Penny and Kenneth Walker, I mean, they each had like 150 yards against them. I think Moser goes over 100 yards. Tua has a great game. Waddle and Rick get involved. I think the Dolphins' offense really has a full and complete game that we have not seen really all year. I mean, you had in the Ravens game, but it wasn't a complete game because it was all in the fourth quarter, really. Um, I think. The Dolphins win this one. I'll take Dolphins 35, Lions 17. Fins up. Wow, I was close. I was going to go 35-24. See it? Um, Dolphins I, Jerry against, Jerry Dolphins against the Lions. I'm going to go Dolphins 24. Did someone already say 24-17? No. Uh, I'm going to go Dolphins 24, Lions 17. We could, uh, we like, could. I want to say it's going to be a shootout. There might be a lot of yards, but just to – as a whole, there have not been a lot of points in the NFL this year, so I think it'll kind of sure. stay with that trend. That's fair. That's fair, and that's a good point. Um, red zone efficiency has been a key in the entire league this year. S- certainly a key last week for the Dolphins and their failure to score points. And it has been a key recently this season. I mean, against the Vikings, they outgained Minnesota by 200 yards and only scored 16 points. Uh, Tua, uh, I thought when he came back, the red zone efficiency would improve, and he saw that. we saw it in the first drive of the game, scoring to – with the great touchdown pass to Raheem Mostert, but it's going to be a key in this one again. Red zone efficiency, scoring in the red zone. 
putting the game away early because the Dolphins are going to be able to move the football. They are going to be able to move the football. We've seen them move the football against the Steelers, against the Patriots, against every team they've played this season. It's just going to be about getting the ball in the end zone once you get in the red zone territory and not you know having dumb penalties push you out of that territory. So we'll see what happens. Should be a good week as the Florida, Florida Gators will get blown out and the Dolphins will hopefully blow out the Lions. Go Gators. Fins up. Go Gators and go FIU, I guess. Yeah, go Panthers. Congratulations. Congratulations, San Patosa. Thank you. Love you guys. Won't back down. With Will Levinson, Jake Lehman, and Sam Patosa.